Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Hey everyone, welcome again to episode 25 of The Bible Unmasked. If this is your first time tuning in, the Bible Unmasked is ultimately a huge Bible study that Plantation SDA Church is doing together. Um, Basically, it's aired every Sunday night at 7.30 on YouTube and Plantation SDA TV. And our goal in Bible Unmasked is to read through the entire Bible in 2021. Um, Each week, we have a reading plan that's shared weekly during our Sabbath service and on social media. And we just invite you to read it with your family, your friends, any co-workers. And as you're reading and as you're studying and as you're discussing, if you have any questions at all, text them to 954-388-8780. Again, that number is 954-388-8780. Each week you'll have either one of our pastors or Principal Steven, Stevenson, and he will they will all address the questions that you ask live on the air. So if you have any questions at all, again, send us to that number. And we just invite you also to subscribe to Plantation SCA's YouTube channel so you can automatically be notified of any future episodes or any other live streams that we have. Um, this week, we'll be going through, uh, continuing through the, the book of Psalms here with Pastor Jen. Hello, Pastor Jen. How are you? Hello. I'm well, and you, I'm glad to. This is the first time I've ever presented with you. No, I thought about that today. I was like, how exciting. (laughs) So welcome, welcome. Can you pray for us to begin this episode this afternoon or this morning? Yes, I can. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time that you've given us, Lord, to just unveil the truths and promises of your word through the Psalms, Lord Jesus, and I thank you that you will give us more insights so that we can learn about you better, Father. Thank you so much for your word. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So as we get into our discussion, uh, really quickly, Pastor Jen, we we went over Psalms 1 through 42 uh, last, last week. Could you just give a super quick overview of what happened in Psalms 42, which is basically a, a high-level synopsis? Um, in Psalms 42, let me flip back to there. As you all know, the Psalms is filled with so many different ways that we can interpret it. And Psalms 42 to 72 be, begin with, and we can see it in the word yearning for God in the midst of distress. So Psalm 42 talks about the yearning and even also part le- lamenting God, but just our desire for him. Understood. So basically, a blueprint how we can how we can go to God. Okay, it is. I mean, I can give you Psalm forty two one. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So it's that longing. That's what it begins us with. That's actually my favorite song. I love that song. It's just so meditative. So it so, is. It's a beautiful song. Um, this week, we're going to be going from Psalms 43 to Psalms 80. So again, Pastor Jen, as we get ready to dive into a couple of questions that we received, can you first just give us a high-level overview of what we're going to be looking at here in 43 through 80? So 43, 43 through 80 is, again, um, as you all know, the Psalms are an overview and different ways on how we can interpret. So we'll be going through praise and thanksgiving, lamentation, wisdom, um, prayers, crying out to God. And, and we're, uh, we'll go psalm by psalm for some of them. I, ho- I hope we don't run long because some of them I'm going to be explaining psalm by psalm. And so it, it's just a whole plethora that you can, that we can look at. Perfect. Perfect. So after now that we've received a high-level overview, we're going to jump right into these questions. So the very first question says simply, the Psalms are filled with poems and songs. Are there any other genres that are are mixed in into the Psalms? Oh, yes, there are several. And many people can say there are 
three genres, four genres, five genres, but I'm just gonna give you a wider view there. We can call them seven genres. So let me begin with four because these are the main ones. And when people say there are four genres, there's usually praise, wisdom, royalty, and thanksgiving, five and lamentations. But when we say seven, there is there is wisdom, lamenting, royalty, imprecatory, thanksgiving, pilgrimage, and enthronement. And let me give you an example of what these are. So the wisdom psalms, this can come in, the wisdom psalms provoke guidelines for living a godly life or living a life according to God's will. And one example is Psalms 1, 1 to 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in a way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law. That person is like a stream planted is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season. So just how that was structured, that is a wisdom psalm. Um, an example of a, another example of a wisdom psalm is in Psalm 37, commit, um, Psalm 37 verses five through six, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous, Reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. So that's one genre of seven, that's wisdom. We go on to another genre, royal or royalty. This describes the messianic role of rule of Jesus Christ. And, it, and we can have an example of this in Psalm 45, verses one through two. And it says, my heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king, my tongue is the pen of a skillful water writer. Whoa, hello. Let me just make that bigger. Okay. You are the most excellent of men and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. So just listen to how that talks about king kingship. Then we have the third um, genre, lamentations, and these are prayers for deliverance. You, you know what laments, lamentations are, prayers for deliverance and moments of despair. Um, one example for this is Psalm 41, 44, 15 through 16. I live in disgrace. Now just listen to how it starts off. I live in disgrace all day long and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach me and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. So this is completely different from my heart is stirred by a noble theme. Um, and another, another example would be um, Psalm 54, save me, O God, by your name, vindicate me by your might, hear my prayer, O God, listen to the words of my mouth. So that's another genre. The next genre is imprecatory, and this invokes God's wrath and judgment. So now you're calling God's wrath, the people are calling God's wrath upon themselves. And this, an example of this is in Psalm 7, verses three to five, Lord my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I had have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. All right. Then uh, another one is genre is Thanksgiving. And this is, we can find this in Psalm 41. And it goes um, 41, 13, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And then we have pilgrimage Psalms, which describe the Israelites as they journey or as we journey to Jerusalem. And this can be found in Psalm 121, 
The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. So this is, this is the type of song that they would sing. And finally, a song of enthronement, which describes the sovereign rule of God. And we find that in Psalm 93, the Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He is girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. So these are all the different types of genres. I, I spread it out. Usually they, they kind of group them more closer together to four or five genres, but there are more that you include if you detail them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so the interesting part to me was how many of those I recognized as songs. Like sometimes yes. you don't even realize how many of them have been taken and put to music um, currently for current mm -hmm. music. I heard My Help, I heard As the Deer, I heard um, Better Than Life, I heard a few songs that we sing regularly that's from right. direct verbatim from the Psalms. That's, so that's, that's really interesting when you really stop and think about it. And so, the new, I think some of the new songs that I've sung too, as you say, like I could be, or, or maybe new as in maybe the last five or six years, you know, I'm singing them, I'm singing them, I'm thinking, why does this sound so familiar? And I'll just keep singing them. And then it'll be like a couple years later, well, I'll be reading, like, oh, yeah, hello, this was a Bible verse. How do I not know this? Exactly, exactly. Because that's happened before. I'm like, why do I feel like I know this? these words or I know the song. You don't know the song. You've just heard the psalm before. Yes, you have. Go figure. So um, going to question number two, is this how should we interpret the psalms? What method of interpretation should we use to understand them? Okay, I'll go a little bit deeper here too. Okay, so one, we should interpret it we should take it into context. You know, what is the Psalm talking about? So for example, we have the verse, and it's not a Psalm, but I'll just give you an example. The verse that goes, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. People usually, when they use that, they'll just grab that text, put, pop it into whatever they're saying. And, you know, do you serve the Lord? Do I serve the Lord? But you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? And it's beautiful said like that. However, are you, are we really preaching it from what is the full context of what this text is saying? If, and if you go, this is why you, you, you can't just take one verse and, and just use that. They call that, you know, it, it, it's proof text. You can't just use that one. You have to look at it from back and front. So when you look at a verse like that, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You will find that this is when Joshua, after he has finally led the people into Canaan, and he's on his deathbed now, and he's reminding them, he's reminding them, in the previous verses, this is what our God has brought us through. Look at all the wars that he has won for us. Um, and he's telling them, remember, stop worshiping your gods. Stop worshiping your idols. Re start worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So, this is the same way how you need to read Psalms in context. You can't just be pulling one verse here, one verse there. You have to look at it in the whole context. You also have to look at it in the genre that it's that is talking about. Is this a wisdom psalm? Um, is, is this a lamenting psalm? Um, you can look at it through parallelism. So for example, I'm gonna use one that you all know, um, Psalm 50. One And when you look at the verses, right, you, you know how once sometimes you see verses and they just have one line and then another right beneath it and then it pops out back. It looks like it looks like poem. Yeah. And, and so it says. Uh, Psalm 51. Number seven, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. 
wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. That was two different lines, which basically said the same thing. So it's giving you, it's giving you different ways to say the same thing. Um, number eight, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. They said they used two different, I mean, two different sentences, two, three different words, but they're all talking about joy and gladness and rejoicing. So we can also read Psalms through parallelism. We can read, we can interpret Psalms through imagery. What kind of imagery is being pro, um, projected? So a famous one is Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And they're looking at you, they're looking at the, the image that is being projected is as God as a shepherd who is walking with his sheep. And, and then also we can look at, a, we can interpret Psalms in the light of its title. So back to the, um, Psalm 51, it literally says, if you read the Psalms, it literally says what it is for most of them, what it is and when it was written. So um, let's go to, I'll save that one. Let's go to Psalm 52. The end of the wicked and the peace of the godly to the chief musician, a, a contemplation of David when Doi the Edomite went and told Saul and said to him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. So right there, the psalm is already telling you in context why it was written and what happens right here. Um, we can look at, we can interpret psalms through their theological teaching. Um, Jesus as shepherd, Jesus as a fortress, God is our restorer. Or we can also interpret Psalms through how they anticipate Christ. And so what do I mean by this? Um, you might be shocked, but Psalms is a lot of prophecy. So if you look into Psalm 22, this actually heralds, and I'll bet well, most of you probably do know it, but if this is different, if, if this is a new thing for some of you, Psalms 22 actually um, foretell, foretells the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Psalms 22 starts, starts off with, Psalms 22 verse 1 starts off with, it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where is that found? That is found in the crucifixion. And then it, it goes further down to say something along the lines of, they have pierced my hands and my feet. And so these things also, so this is an example of how Psalms becomes a, a prophecy to, is, is a prophetic, is a prophetic use towards Jesus Christ. So these are all the different ways that you can understand them. Now you all might have to re rewind this video to look for each piece, but I guess the best way to look at it is taking away all those words that I use, context, genre, parallelism, Im imagery, the light of its title, theological teaching. You can just look at how is it applied to the author? What perspective, you know, what perspective did the author write it from? Personal application to the reader. What does it do for you? Well, how is it changing you? How are how is your life right now um, being read through this psalm? How does this apply to Jesus? And then how does this apply to the story of Israel? So that's how those are the, the different methods we can use to interpret psalms. Wow. Okay. So there's no way to, to use life applicants to your life for sure. Yes, there's different ways we can apply it. Okay. All right, so question number three says, this is an interesting one. We use certain Psalms to pray for specific things. For example, we use Psalm 71 when we feel like everyone is against us. We use Psalms 121 when we feel discouraged and helpless. And Psalm 13 when we feel like God has forgotten us, et cetera, et cetera. Do Psalms have miraculous powers? I know. Did you just say, do Psalms have miraculous powers? Miraculous powers. I'll, okay. I, so even as I was reading it, I don't think the word should be maybe miraculous powers, but I think it's more like a, a extra like level of comfort. Like, do you, like you feel like you can lean on the Psalm a little bit more because it applies to what you're going through. Cause you always tend to go towards what, you know, you feel is relevant. Right. So I don't know if it's miraculous, but 
you understand. Okay. You so we first have to remember that the Psalms were written and were always meant to be used by the people, by us readers. They're meant to be used to express our hearts towards God. Right. So and, and to just gain that deeper understanding of him. So when we and I totally got what you said by miraculous power, I just found that an interesting use of words. Yeah. Um, and while I'm going to say. It can't let's use the words miraculous power. It's not a power that you can just like snap your hands and boom, something happens. The power is in and of itself. It is, the power comes from how we allow what we're reading to change our focus, to change our feelings, to connect deeper with, with God. And so um, we can see this in, in all the Psalms that, I'm just using David now, all the Psalms that David has written, you know, creating me a clean heart, Father, um, restore a new, restore a, a new spirit within me. Or, or he's begging God for forgiveness. So where have we been? You know, have, have we, if we look at these Psalms, have, are we at a point where we know that we have done something incredibly wrong and we now know that we need to make it right with Jesus? So how is it changing us? Is the Psalm in this sense then bringing us to repentance as we read it? Are we being brought to repentance? Are we being made aware of of our sin and and our wanting our desire to make it right with Christ. So then it then where's the change then? So then if we see it, then are we going to do it? Are we going to now repent? And when we repent, how are we going to make it right? Are we now asking God for forgiveness? Are we now going even further asking whoever it was that we sinned against to forgive us and now repairing the breach? So the miraculous power is what the psalm does to you when God is speaking to you. It, it lies in how your life, your heart is being transformed and how you act that out. That's ultimately what I understand. So it's not necessarily miraculous power. It's just, it has a, an, a, a deeper ability for you to actually connect with it in order to now connect with God through your prayer. I feel like that's that's what the the crux of it was truly. Um, mm -hmm. So then the next question says, why did David always ask God to vindicate him against his enemies in the book of Psalms? And should we do the same? David went through so many battles. And the thing is, he, for the majority of battles that he went through, he always asked God to walk him through. So he knows already that he's being attacked, but he also knows that he's being called by a higher power to go and battle against these different armies. And so it, it, he says it, vindicate me, you know, fight for me. And he, there's even one text that says, and prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. And okay, I just got goosebumps for that because as, that's David. And we think, well, that's David. You know, that's because he was some great warrior back in 2000 something years ago. But this applies to us. How many, how many different battles are we facing today? Are we facing work battles, church battles, um, financial battles? And, and it is, whether it's of our own doing that we land ourselves in our, in our specific trials, or whether it's the cause of other people, we always have some type of attack, attack against us. And so if there are enemies or, or if we're walking into a battlefield that we don't even, we know that God is calling us to do this. We know that we are on this path. We can just tell God, yes, vindicate me, arm me, shield me, protect me. I am putting on all your armor so that you can vindicate me in my within my enemies we can do the same thing provided that you know we are doing the battle um under god's provision okay all right the next question says were the psalms always used as songs of worship 
I think we kind of answered that with the different themes, but we can go a little bit more into it. Were the Psalms always used as, as songs of worship? Um, let's see. Um, we covered the different themes and although, although they start off and I see where this question is kind of going, although they start off as, for example, um, although they start off as enthroning, saying what God's gonna do. Very soon, as you as you continue to read along, you know, as, as it describes the kingliness of God, soon three or four verses down the line, you're gonna see praising mm -hmm. and worship. Um, even when you are, even when the song is specifically about Thanksgiving, already you are in worship. When the psalm is talking about wisdom and is telling you what you should do, is telling you what you should do, and then somewhere in there, there is a slight praise, and and then you go to lamenting, especially you know with David, he's lamenting his sin, but then towards the end of the sin, he's singing his praises. When when they're in a war and they're crying out for restoration and protection for God to fight with them, they're saying, "God, do you hear us?" That the mountains fall on us, um, so on and so forth. And then they begin praising Him. So, even though I believe these psalms are specifically put into different genres, at one point or another, whether it's one small verse or a plethora of verses um, sprinkled in and out of each chapter, you will find that it turns mm -hmm. to some kind of worship and praise. Wow. Okay. So then Psalms 51. This one, we mentioned this really briefly before, but this question is very specific now. So it says Psalm 51 is attributed to David's state of mind after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. But David never meant, mentioned Bathsheba in it. How? <laughs> How do we know that David was asking for forgiveness for his sin with Bathsheba? All right, so let's go to Psalm 51, and I am reading it here. I'm not, I wish I could show you um, right here the physical Bible because I have it all highlighted. But in Psalm 51, it says a prayer of repentance at the very beginning. Before it even begins the psalm, in its descriptive nature, it already says a prayer of repentance. So you already know that David is asking for forgiveness. And then it says, to the chief musician, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him. So this is when Nathan rebuked him, right? Um, and he told that parable, you know, there was a person with one lamb versus a man who had many lambs and, and this person went to get, take that one man's lamb and you're that man. You had all these wives, you had all these concubines, uh, all of this, and you take the one man's woman, the one man's lamb. So that was, so it says, it says it. A Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet, prophet went to him, and it doesn't say here, but when, when Nathan rebuked him. And then he says, after he had gone into Bathsheba. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mention Bathsheba in the, in the text of, in the chapter of Psalm 51 itself, but it already puts it in the first description mm -hmm. after he had gone into Bathsheba. And for those of you who don't know, when you look at the words gone in to Bathsheba, that was the biblical way of writing after he had intimacy with her. Mm -hmm. And so this is how we know, even though he doesn't mention Bathsheba within the psalm that he writes, already by the description, the first part of the description, it's already says it's a prayer of repent repentance. So repentance comes when you ask for forgiveness, right? Mm -hmm. And after, after he'd gone into Bathsheba. So now if we specifically look at the text, just listen to the words that he's using. Psalm 51, one, have mercy, have mercy upon me, O God. Um, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. 
because I acknowledge that my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you and you only have I have sinned. He says it and I've done evil in your sight mm -hmm. and that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Further down, he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And especially here, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you've broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. So he's asking God to just take it all away. You know, please forgive me, take it all away. And then he says, create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit. Don't take me away from your presence. Don't take your spirit away from me. Then he's asking, restore to me the joy of your salvation. So how we know that this is forgiveness, he's asking for a clean heart. And when David pleads with God to restore him to the joy of your salvation, he is asking that God would, that he would again, that David would again have fellowship with God, the type of fellowship that he once knew and enjoyed. And he knew that without asking for forgiveness first, he couldn't enjoy God's fellowship until he had confessed the sin. So even today, we can lose the joy of our salvation, but we will not lose our salvation. We can lose the joy of it when we become separated from God after we after we have sinned. So we can regain that joy once we have repented and asked for forgiveness. Hmm. Beautiful. Okay, so then why are some Psalms 2346? I think we can mention 51 and 121 more popular than others. Let's look at Psalms 23. Mm -hmm. Psalms 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. Exactly. The Lord is my shepherd. Mm -hmm. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. So already those first few words, we already have vision of God as our shepherd, as our protector, our nourisher, God is with us. Um, and then let's say, let's look at Psalm 46. Psalm 46 is a song of God's provision, is a song, of, a song for Zion. And it says, listen, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried into the sea. How can someone not fear when there's an earthquake and there's a tsunami? Literally. Right. How can you? How can you not? But this is this is the song that they are, the song that they are singing. And so, and that, that proves that they are already claiming that victory, that even though all the stuff is going to happen, um, they know that they will be kept safe under his hand. And then we look at Psalm, let's see what you say, Psalm 121. It celebrates another, God's provincial care. It's a second song of ascent. So let's do it. Psalm 121, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. So they're they're lifting their eyes. They're like, where am I looking for my help? And I, you know, where this psalm, you're gonna think I'm all crazy, right? But where this psalm, like I always remember it, is from Sound of Music, where the um the I think it's the head, the head nun and and Maria is trying to. I think they're trying to escape. They're trying to escape and it's at the very end, right? And she runs to and asks for help. And she's, I don't know if she opens a door. I'm not sure what she does, the head, the head sister, but she says, and I will lift up my eye to the hills. When shall my help come from? And it was so fitting for that because in the in the sound of music, they literally had to run into the hills yeah. literally right? into the mountains yeah <laughs> into the mountains and so and and so you ask why are some psalms more popular than others and i i believe it it stands for the imagery that they represent 
the emotion that it evokes within us. Uh, we have one more Psalm um, that I found, Psalm 144, and it says, Blessed be the Lord my strength, but teacheth my hand to war, my fingers to fight, my goodness, uh, he's my goodness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer and my shield and whom I trust. One sentence, what was that? My goodness, my fortress, my high tower, my deliverer, my shield, you know? And when you think about all this imagery, these are the Psalms that stand out in your head because these, these are the Psalms that you begin to call forth to memory when you are in um, trouble. For, let's go out of the Psalms. If I'm in trouble and I'm scared, or if, if I'm in trouble and yeah, and I'm scared, the first one that comes to mind, fear not for I am with thee. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if, if I have something going on, a big trial that I can not see and everything is going crazy and I just can't find peace, then I go be still and know that I am God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so these, just like, just like um, you, just like you can use other verses, these are why some of the Psalms are so much more popular because of the imagery it evokes, of the emotion that it wells within you and how you can totally relate to relate what, yeah. what that Psalm is saying. Yeah, the relatability is the fact that you can relate for sure. Yes. You can, you know, you can go to it and you know the feeling because it never fails. The feeling will come, the, the feeling of peace or the, the emotion that you're requesting from God, peace, comfort, whichever one, you're going to get it when you start to go through those Psalms. So I think it's the, the relatability and it's almost like the, I don't want to say guarantee because I feel like then we're going into miraculous power, but it is almost a guarantee that you, when you read these Psalms, you'll feel, you know, the, the emotion that you're Exactly. Exactly. Other words. Um, so this next one says, can you please explain Psalm 60? Yeah, this, oh, I hope this isn't going to be a long, um, no, I think it was like 12 explanation because it, it is 12 verses, but basically, um, what it is, is a Psalm that begins in defeat and ends in victory. So let's look, let's look at it. It says this psalm is titled to the chief musician, we know it's David, set to Lily of the Testimony, which refers to an instrument or a tune, a mictum of David. So a mictum is a golden psalm of David intended for teaching. And when he fought against Mesopotamia, um, when he fought against Mesopotamia and Syria of Zobah, and Job returned and killed 12,000 Edomites. So it already, right there, it already gives the overview, right? And so we look at Psalm, at the beginning of that Psalm, and verses one to three describes a defeated nation, um, a plea for mercy from God who has afflicted his people. So it begins, oh God, you have cast, you have cast us off. David and the armies of Israel fought against foreign armies, and experienced measures of defeat. And David knew that when the Lord fought for Israel, victory was assured. If there was defeat, it was most likely because of God's displeasure. Um, restore us again. So in here, in some way, God has caused a defeat of Israel, but it doesn't discourage David from appealing to God for his favor to be restored. Therefore the cry, restore us again. You've made the earth tremble. David felt as if the whole earth shook at God's defeat of his people. Yet God who could shake the earth could also heal its breaches. Um, you've shown your people hard things. You've made us, and in here it says, you've made us drink the wine, the wine of confusion. And here it says, Israel's defeat was hard to understand. There are many aspects of the situation that caused David confusion, but still there was comfort that God was the author of it all. Mm -hmm. And then we go into verses four to five. Verses four to five talk about hope in his deliverance. They say, you have given a banner to those who fear you. And so here, David felt that God had cast off and broken Israel, yet he would not stop flying the banner of allegiance and trust in God. Um, your, that your beloved may be delivered. So David claims himself as God's beloved despite the defeat, and he understands that he would be his rescue would be found in allegiance, greater allegiance to God, more or less. 
And then it, it also talks about the victorious God in verses six through eight, God's word of triumph over the nations. He's, it says, I will rejoice. So David understands that God, that the word that God himself spoke, God will rejoice in his lordship over Israel. Um, I will divide Shechem and measure out the valley of Succoth. With these and the following lines, God proclaims how the land of Israel was his special possession. And then in, it says, Moab is my wash pot. I will cast my shoe. I found this one interesting. God said that he would exalt himself over the surrounding nations. And because Moab and Edom were noted for their pride, God humbles them. So he makes Moab a wash pot, which is servant status. And he casts out his shoe. So masters used to take shoes off their servants' feet and throw it at them. So now he's put Edom as, um, he, he's put Moab, like just different descriptions, like you're like a shoe that I'm using to chastise you. Mm -hmm. um, finally, in verses nine through 12, we see renewed trust in God who helps. So one the verses begin, well, who will lead me to Eden? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? So David knew that their previous defeat was because God didn't fight for them. And so he trusted now that God would lead Israel to victory. Um, Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. David has seen many brave men accomplish great things. Um, yet for David and for Israel, they knew that the help of man was not enough and that they would need God. And finally, through God, we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. David understood that it wasn't God's desire for Israel to leave off fighting and passively see what God would do. Instead, they would fight, but fight with God and courageously. And so their fighting with God would be valiant and they would see God take down their enemies. So now you see that the whole of Psalm 60, it begins in defeat and then it ends in victory. Oh, okay. We have two more questions left. Um, this next one says Psalm 62, verse 12. It says, also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. Does this verse contradict our belief that we are saved by grace and not works? Let's look at that verse. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his works. This looks more like justice than um mercy right it looks like it but if we understand it to mean that god graciously rewards the poor and imperfect works of his people then we see this verse as a clear display of god's mercy and so could it not be that according to the work that god gives us he will also give us the strength to do it for him, that same strength to do the work that he's given. And so when we look at it this way, it it's not, oh, this is a hard one. It's not contradicting. Oh. I was going to say, for this one, I read a little before it, because I, you know how you said sandwich it before and after, mm -hmm. and before it is talking about pretty much justice. So before number verse 10 first says, don't make your living, well, New Living Translation, sorry. It says, don't make your living by extortion or put your hope in stealing. And if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. Then yeah. God has spoken plainly and I've heard it many times. Power of God belongs to you and failing love, the Lord is yours. Surely you repay all people according to what they have done. So right. then it goes into justice <laughs> right, justice and 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 it also goes into um how do we say it man doesn't help us nor reward us god's the one who rewards us in him we find um everything power and grace and so our faith should be 
hoping and waiting in God, and then we'll see his salvation, right? But, but, but salvation is not by works or good deeds, but by faith. So James tells us, um, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, be well fed, but you don't give them what they need, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have work, it is dead by itself. That's James 2. 14 to 17. So it doesn't, the question is, it doesn't contradict it. What it's saying is faith, by the faith that we have, we're going to produce some kind of fruit. And the fruit that comes from it is, is our testimony, right? So we're not saved. We're, we're, it doesn't contradict our belief, but it says, if you have faith, then the things that you will do will produce fruit for me. And that's not works, but that's a testimony of how of God of how God works through your faith. Okay. okay. So then our last question, um, Psalms 80 verses four and five. Oh Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? So the question then says, does God stop answering his children's prayers when they disobey him? If you have disobeyed God and are still expecting him to bless you according to what, how you should have been blessed um, before when you didn't disobey God, mm -hmm. then you're in for a surprise because you don't get quotes unquote rewarded by that. Um, God... Oh, I got to watch how I say this. God still answers our prayers, but have we come to repentance with our disobedience, right? So, so for example, if, if I'm thinking of it in thoughts of a parent, do we still love our children when they disobey us? Yes, we do. Do we, do we reward them for their disobedience? Absolutely. No, we don't, right? We're still going to feed them. We're still gonna, we're not gonna throw them out to the wolves. We're not gonna kick them out of the house. We're still going to house them, but will we give them what they should have deserved had they obeyed us? No, we wouldn't. So this is not a punishment of, this is not a punishment of God, but at the same time, he will, he will answer our prayers accordingly and according to how we have made it up with him according how to how we're making it right yeah so that was did, did i make sense there Oops, sorry did i make sense no that makes <laughs> sense i mean I, honestly i think the children example was a perfect metaphor because it's true you know your your kids mess up they do things they're not supposed to do you don't necessarily now dislike them and hate them you're still going to make sure they have the needs that they need but mm -hmm. their wants and wishes those might be on hold for a little bit until they until they start to act right. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> that makes sense to me because I'm literally picturing Matthew like, but I want a cookie, but you didn't eat your broccoli, so I don't really understand <laughs> making that request right now. <laughs> so. Exactly. Exactly. Mom, we want to go to the beach, but did you do your chores? Did you pick up oh, your? Chores? Did Did you do this? No. Or or you know, hey, I killed somebody. Gosh. <laughs> Can I can I go free? Yeah. Really? You need to answer for what what your consequences are for what you did. That's it. That's it. So it made perfect sense to me. Honestly, the child metaphor, perfect. Totally understood. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so so that actually concludes this episode 25 of Bible Unmasked. Um, next week, everybody will be reviewing Psalms 81 for one, through 119. So again, as I mentioned in the beginning, as you're reading and studying with your friends, your family, your coworkers, and whoever else you've invited to your Bible study, um, just as you're reading and, and going through, text your questions to 954-388-8780. We'll receive all the questions, have them compiled, and um, our presenter for that week will go ahead and, and answer them live on the air. Um, 
one quick note as you're as you're going through the study try to read a little bit every day as opposed to trying to cram you do take in much much more if you read little pieces at a time you get a chance to meditate on it think over it and questions may come to your mind later on after you after you've studied a little bit more so um as those questions come to your mind again pastor dexter and liz thomas they are on for next week uh and they'll go ahead and and kind of answer any questions that you have so pastor jen really quickly um this upcoming psalms 81 through 119 do we, can we have a brief synopsis of what we can expect in those chapters Okay, so Psalm 81, we are now looking to, looking for Israel's repentance, um, the prayer to frustrate conspiracy against Israel, and all this prayer for mercy, meditation, and all the way up until Psalm 119, where we will be rejoicing. Nice. With God's everlasting mercy and restoration and so forth. Perfect. Thank you, Pastor Ken. Thank you, viewers, for tuning in again. Um, we look forward to seeing you back next week. Again, just remember to subscribe to Plantation SDA's YouTube channel. That way you'll be automatically reminded and notified of any future episodes and other live streams that we have. Uh, Pastor Jen, could you pray for us to close this yes, episode? Yes, I can. Father God, thank you for a moment where we could pause, Lord, and learn a little bit more about you and just even discovering what types of psalms there are, the different ways to approach you and meditate with you, and really how we can use the psalms, Lord, to just get closer to you. Let every single psalm, Lord, be a be a prayer that can be upon our heart, Father, toward you. Draw us closer to you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Plantation SDA Church presents the Bible Must. Read your Bible daily. Join us every Sunday at 7.30 p.m. for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Let's read the entire Bible. 21 with the Bible Unmasked.